Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast, an audio experience where we don't just talk about it, we live it. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast. My name is Andrew Roberts, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host. My name is Matthew Teifke. <laughs> and Matt, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Good, good. How are you? Good. Yeah. We're um, about to close on a duplex in East yeah, Austin. Yeah, baby. Super excited about that. Um, you were a deal finder among, you know... <laughs> children because <laughs> nobody else can do what you can do uh you found this awesome duplex um, in east austin for 210 yep offered 190 man I'm what excited. a steal yeah. yeah and it's nice i'm pumped is... about it yeah we went and checked it out the other day yep great deal um and then this week we also had a little facebook live on tuesday which we're doing once a week yep and that was all about house hacking mm-hmm. um you know kind of like a beginner's map to get involved with real estate investing yeah we're having fun uh being consistent the Facebook Live shut off midway through, and then we got it back up yeah. a couple minutes later. So. What a nightmare. Yeah. I broke into an immediate sweat. <laughs> Ugh, real stressful. Um, but today's podcast, uh, we recorded um, actually a little while ago with a friend from California. His name is Michael Zuber. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mike Z. And he reached out to us because um, he's found our podcast and... Um, so we kind of formed a, a little relationship with him and uh, got him on the podcast because he has done some really incredible things with real estate investing. Yep. And how, how do you uh, how do you get a thousand properties? You start with one at a time. Yeah. How do you eat an elephant? Yep. One, one bite, bite at, a time. at a time. Yeah. Um, and that's like his motto, really. So he uh, wrote a book called One Is It One Rental at a Time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like his. Uh, plan that he had going into it and what he suggests for other real estate investors because yeah. he was working a nine-to-five right <clears throat> kind of like a lot of people and just wasn't happy in what he was doing um, and saw real estate as like a way for him to have freedom right and he was able to do it with a family and one at a time and it just kind of shows the the power of real estate and the ability to leverage your time even if you have another job like it's something that you can be doing um, studying it, learning the market, and he slowly started doing that and jumped in. And I don't know how many rentals he has now, but uh, he talked about, you know, buying single-family homes and then 1031 exchange on those properties into some bigger properties and just consistently trading up. And uh, with his style, you can re- what we talk about, you can always see that snowball effect as it just keeps rolling downhill and getting bigger right? and picking up more momentum. Yeah. And, you know, Kudos to him too because he was in California doing this, and California is such a uh, a high, um, I guess, market for real estate. Yeah. You know, the prices are, are higher. So. It's more affordable in Austin. So, although most people say don't move here, I'm saying to move here. Yeah, 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 <laughs> move here. We love it. Um, but uh, so Mike uh, is a great guy. We are very lucky to have him on the podcast, and uh, please forgive us for. Uh, the audio quality. This was a little video call because obviously he's in California. Um, but without further ado, please enjoy the podcast with Mr. Michael Zuber. 
Mike, uh, welcome to the Young Wild Financially Free podcast. We really appreciate you you coming on with us. And so what I want to do is I want the listeners and I personally uh, want to learn more about you and your story, who you are. So if you wouldn't mind giving us like a, a two or three minute uh, elevator pitch or kind of summary uh, on who you are and what your story is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my story, like, like many begins, you know, um, years ago, uh, I was a young professional, right? I did what my parents taught me, which was go to school, get a good job, try to climb the corporate ladder. Um, and unfortunately also spend a lot of money, right? So I spent my twenties, you know, making an okay salary, uh, but got to my 30th birthday, uh, and realized I had nothing for it. I had a couple of cool stories, but I really had nothing to lean back on, right? No, no real savings of any consequence. And that was after, you know, supposedly doing everything the right way. Mm -hmm. The other thing, you know, as a 30 year old, I realized was uh, when I was growing up, money was a stressor in my family, right? Both my parents were in the military. They both have high school educations. And, you know, when times were good, it means mom and dad had a paycheck. And when times were bad, it meant mom and dad didn't have paychecks. And unfortunately, we went through that cycle many times. Still, still, you know, can remember eating a baked potato, you know, every day for 30 days, right? So uh, I, I have those scars and remember them. So now I'm 30, realizing that I'm kind of repeating what my parents did. And I'm like, something's got to change. Sure. So I'm not an athlete, not an actor, not going to be an inventor. I'm not a coder. And I got to do something. So at the time, right, I'm older than both you guys. I go to a bookstore, which I know is a foreign concept, but I actually go to a bookstore. And I kind of try to find something. So I, I end up in the real estate section and I find Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, which a, a lot of people find. Uh, you know, bought it, read it, you know, dozens of times by now. And it, it just kind of had that mental mind shift. And I realized that I was just selling time for dollars. And, you know, sometimes those dollars were really expensive, but regardless, I was selling time for dollars. Mm -hmm. So I said, great, I'm going to invest in rentals. And you have to realize as a 30 year old, nobody in my family had ever done that. Nobody, I didn't have any experience. I knew no one, and, uh, but I took the leap. And uh, ultimately, uh, you know, I tried to do what the book says, invest where you live. I happen to live in Mountain View, California, which was ridiculously expensive in 2003. And it's ridiculously expensive today, even worse. So I chose a market two and a half hours away. And it's called Fresno, California. And again, I knew no one and I just jumped in. So I bought a house on Norris Drive for 107 grand that rented for 1100. That was my start. And uh, hence, you know, created a, a one rental at a time story over 15 years, and ultimately left uh, the rat race, you know, financially free at 45. Uh, you know, with a, a portfolio that now pays for my, you know, my living expenses, right? I don't consider myself rich or wealthy or any of that. I just have enough coming in where my bills are paid for. And I, you know, now time is what I have. So that's kind of my story, you know, at the beginning and, and kind of where it ended up and, and happy to go anywhere you guys would like next. Yeah, sure. absolutely. So you're uh, from California? Yep. Cool. Do you have any, uh, do you have any siblings or only child? Oh, I do have a younger sister. Yes. Cool. That's awesome. Um, and did you, so you went to college, you said, uh, did you go to college out there in California? I did. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Silicon Valley rat. So I, if you know the area, I lived in Sunnyvale, I've lived in Cupertino and I went to school at Santa Clara university. Uh, gotcha. So yeah, I never, never really left. Cool. Um, and, uh, going into college, um, what degree did you choose and what was like your career goal? What did you want to do when you grew up? 
<laughs> well, there's kind of two answers there. So what did I want to do when I grew up? That, that's, that's a funny story my mom likes to tell. I, I always told her I wanted to be a banker. And of course, at some age, she, t- she asked me, why do you want to be a banker? And I said, well, mom, that's where all the money is. No, that's true. Right. So <laughs> I didn't know it wasn't my money, but that's, you know, I didn't know that. So um, that's, that's what I did. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. So I went and got an accounting degree. Um, and then I ultimately got an MBA as well. Um, so a master's in business administration. So uh, I, I've been around money or investing, you know, my whole, or that's, that's what I was trained for in school anyway. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then uh, coming out of, you know, college, uh, is that the career path you chose? Did you? Uh, it was, it's, it's where I started. And then I quickly realized there was no money in it. So my first job was being an accountant, uh, a general ledger accountant specifically, which meant I did debits and credits and journal entries. And I finally did a sales tax audit on disk drives and realized that, you know, a 30,000 line spreadsheet wasn't for me. Uh, so I had to do something else. So ultimately I spent most of my career in software sales, either as what they call a pre-sales consultant, which is on the tech side. So I learned that side of the business or actually as a salesperson or sales manager. Um, so that's, um, you know, where I spent most of my career. So I was commission-based, 50-50 play pans, traveled the world because I ran teams anywhere from national to worldwide. So I spent lots of time on airplanes, uh, which is funny because I hate to fly, but it's how I paid my bills. So, um, you know, I had, had to do what I had to do. Sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and you said both your parents uh, were in the military. I did. Okay. Um, so were they uh, around a lot or were they, were they traveling when you were a kid? Uh, so as near as I can, you know, they, they were both in until my, um, my younger sister was, was born a few years after me when my mother left and then my father left years after that. I don't remember them ever being in the military, right? Uh, I think my dad left when I was three or four years old, so I, I don't have memory of that. Um, but again, once, when they left the workforce, right, we were in the Silicon Valley, both were, um, high school graduates. So they never made a lot of money. Right. My, my dad, I think was, a an inventory person, as I recall. Right. So he, he played with stock, you know, like inventory stock, like physically moving stuff, which, which robots do today. Right. And my mom was a stay at home mom, uh, until I was in high school. Um, I would say she did the most important job. And I think, I think anybody who raises kids, that's a, a critically important job, but it doesn't pay well. So, um, we didn't have a lot of money. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking of, uh, so like you wanted to get into banking. You said, you know, when you were a kid, uh, that's what you wanted to do when you grew up. And, um, so I'm guessing that came from, uh, that desire came from not having a lot of money when you were, you were a kid and, uh, probably seeing your peers, um, or classmates, uh, that might have had that. Um, I mean, I, we live in Texas, um, so I'm not super familiar with, you know, um, each part of California. Uh, but, uh, I'm sure that some of your classmates at least were, you know, well off. And, uh, so seeing that probably started that desire for maybe potentially, you know, a better life. Well, it was very clear to me that money was a stressor when you had it, life was good right? You could go out to dinner, you could go to movies, you could do stuff, right? Money, to me, money bought happiness. Now, I don't think that's true today, but as a eight, nine, 10 year old who went through many ups and downs in, in that household environment, money was the thing that I could equate to a better life or not. And yes, I was around people that had the two cars and had all the toys and you know, you know, had one-on-one coaching, you know, cause I was, you know, tried to be an athlete and, and, um, 
yeah, it was, it was very clear that money, in, in my mind, quite simply, money bought happiness. That's how I equate it to. And um, I remember many a times where, where money wasn't there and, and it was not fun. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I'm curious, kind of digging into the real estate side, are mm -hmm. all your properties single family? Is it a mix? Uh -huh. Yeah. So I, again, yeah. So if we, if we kind of walk that journey, uh, which I actually document my 15 year journey, I didn't know any better. Right. I, I jumped in with both feet, as I said. So I bought houses. I did. That's all I knew. Right. I lived in a house, buy a house. So uh, for the first six years we bought, um, we ended up buying uh, six houses and one duplex and the duplex was kind of two houses, right. Just happened to be on one lot. So that's what we bought. And then come around 2008, 2009, houses were too expensive because of all the funny financing going on. So I was at a real estate event, which is important, and you networking and talking to people. And somebody, somebody came to me and says, hey, well, I hear you say real estate's expensive, right? Single family homes. Have you ever thought about commercial? And I'm an idiot still, right? I'm six years in the business and I'm an idiot. I go, why would I want a mall or an office building? Because that's what I thought commercial was. Yeah. And he, I remember him looking at me and just shaking his head going, no, <laughs> I mean, apartment buildings, maybe, you know, five to 20 units. And I'm like, tell me more, right? I don't understand. And he's like, when I say commercial, I'm talking about lending, right? You can buy four units and below on residential, but five units and above are called commercial lending. And that's what he was talking about. So I didn't know, I didn't like being an idiot, but I jumped in. And then what you start to learn is you start to learn about 1031 exchanges and how the IRS can help you move equity and not tax you and all of that great stuff. So my first 1031 exchange was selling that first house I mentioned earlier on Norris Drive. And I 1031 that into a five unit apartment building. The magic of it is I sold Norris Drive that rented for 1100 for 260 something. And I bought the five units for 220 something. And the five units rented for three grand and the house rented for 1100. Right. right? So, so do the math. <laughs> so I quickly realized that that was a good thing. Uh, so we quickly went from eight doors, which was six houses in that one duplex to 80 units, all commercial apartments, five to 18 units. I've never owned anything over 18. Very cool. Yeah. And um, cash flow exploded. Yeah. That, that's what I was going to ask you. This is kind of a long winded question. But the process of, you know, one kind of, how are you finding the deals? How are you managing them? What was your team in place? And, yeah. and one of my thought processes, like you go down that trail of buying six, 10, 15 houses, and then where do you get money to buy more? Right? <laughs> but I see when you're getting into the multifamily, you get that cash flow to then go buy the new properties. So can you kind of just give us the, the basics yeah. of like, the single family, how are you finding them? How are you running them? Did you build yeah. a team? Just yeah. kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah, great question. So yeah, be, keep me honest to make sure I answer each portion of that. So first and foremost, as I mentioned earlier, I chose a market that was two and a half hours away from home. So I've had a team since day one, right? Since I had that one house on Norris Drive, I've had property management. And I've leaned on that property manager to help do the contracting, tenant rent up, basically all of it, right? Um, now you know, finding and managing a property manager is hard, right? We fired the first five before we found one that we, we sort of anchored on. So right. that's a whole different story. So I've had a team since day one. And I quickly realized that I only could do part of this business. Because remember, all this time, all 15 years of my journey, I spent, uh, you know, 100 nights in hotels. I was 
I did over a hundred thousand miles on airplanes. So I wasn't around, right? I had to be able to do, you know, this business is truly a side hustle. So I found deals and secured capital. Where did I find deals? Until recently, I found all my deals in the MLS, the multiple listing service, you know, realtor.com, Redfin, Zillow of today. Right. Um, so I didn't have a system. I didn't do marketing. I didn't have bird dogs. I didn't do driving for dollars. I simply looked at the MLS every day for 10 years. Right. And I built up this knowledge base of understanding what a average deal was and what a great deal was. And I could quickly disseminate, you know, in 20 or 30 minutes, what was new or changed. And I would, I would run down the great deals, right? I would make, you know, for every 20 offers in the beginning, I'd get one kind of counter cause I was cheap. Um, and then when the market crashed, I, you know, every 20 offers, I'd get five counters, right? And, and then just the market changes. And then as far as money, right? Uh, the first three deals, uh, I used my seed capital. I started this business with $40,000 uh, and was basically buying 100K houses. So the first house, again, I didn't know any better. So I put 20% down. Mm -hmm. The next two, I put 10% down because I learned you could. I had no idea. Um, then the next uh, four or five I purchased were cash out refis. I refinanced the first couple and pulled cash out to buy the next one. So, um, And then I went from eight to 80 with 1031 money. No, no, new, no new capital. Then the market crashes and banks stop lending to investors. So I never lost a property. I had 80 units. They were all paying and cash flowing. I go to buy the next one, which is a great deal, better than anything I bought before, but the banks won't lend to me. Now I'm like, what the hell is going on, right? Uh, so I find hard money because you've got to keep going when the deals are there. So we found hard money. He, he loaned 60% of purchase, which meant we had to put 40% down. That got really expensive. Uh, and ultimately, we started raising private money because you can control terms and you can help friends and family and all of that stuff um, do that. So um, I, I've done it all, anywhere from bank financing to hard money to private money. Uh, now I do some you know, uh, flips. I turned slumlord properties into pride of ownership rentals to help people get started. That gives some chunk money. Um, but when you the, the key to this business is finding deals, mm -hmm. finding or creating deals. That's the hardest part. Um, you know, if you're really good at talking to motivated sellers and finding them, great. If you want to spend your time just looking at the MLS, I promise you, you can find deals. I hear people today say you can't find deals in the MLS, right? The market's hot, seller's market, seller's market. The first three deals I did in January were all out of the MLS. And I bought them for 30 to 50 grand less than list price. I, so, I'm glad you say that. Uh, and and I'm, I'm the same way. I've had to learn getting loans the hard way. And you just learn about all of these different things. But I was telling Andrew yesterday, I went through our MLS and I did all these multifamily properties and, and saw what they were closing for in the last 60 days. Yeah. And most of them surprisingly were 50, 60 grand under what they were asking. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people were, and that's in Austin where it's hot, super hot market. So on the counter side, the sellers want top price, but you see what, you know, offering 50, hundred grand less, isn't that crazy. It happens. Yeah. If you're, if your first offer doesn't make you uneasy, you're offering too much. Right. Right. You know, that, there's something to that. And again, if you're in this business for the long term, I think if you're in my business, right, one rental at a time, you should be thinking in decades. We're not thinking weeks, months, yeah, years. Even. always talk about that. Yeah. 30 year, 20 yeah. year. Thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So. so I'm curious about the uh, when the market crashed um, in 0809 and you had those 80 units, 
Um, you said you were still cash flowing pretty well oh, yeah. during that time. So how did the market crash affect uh, your I guess, rental properties and your yeah. vacancies and uh, how mm -hmm. much rent you were charging? Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, just like everybody else, the crash hurt my net worth. My net worth went down. Right. Um, but you know what the funny thing is about this business? You don't spend your net worth. You spend your income statement. Yeah. Right? Not your net worth. So my balance sheet suffered. Oh, darn. No, none of your loans say the bank can call the loan because your net worth is down. They're, you know, go figure. But what happened to my rentals? Occupancy went up. Rental rates went up because people were losing homes. And where do they want to go when they want to go lick their wounds and they just had a foreclosure or a short sale? They move in their nice apartments. And guess mm -hmm. what I had a whole bunch of? I had apartments. Yeah. My occupancy rate was over 99% for several years. And I had rental, rental increases each wow. year. So my income statement was flush. Yeah. My balance sheet suffered, sure. But guess what? The market turned, it bounced off the bottom and came back wicked fast. So Very cool. Um, hey, uh, so we managed some apartments um, and that's a whole different ball game from the family. <laughs> Did you use the same property manager when you started getting into multifamily? Was there a learning curve? How, how did that look like? So uh, by the time we got into multifamilies, we were on our anchor property manager. So we'd fired those first four or five. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we used the same one and um, they had, they had apartments okay. already so right, were, in their portfolio. So they were cool with it. I had to learn something different. What's, what's interesting and in, in why I think apartments or multifamily is overpriced today. I think multifamily is priced for perfection today. Mm -hmm. Most right. people are using, um, you know, their experience from single family homes to price and value multifamily. And it's a different game. People stay, uh, you know, on average in my apartments, two years, they stay 10 years in my houses. So um, you have to budget for uh, tenant turnover. My foreclosure rate is not scary high, but or I'm not foreclosure. My uh, eviction rate is not crazy high, but it's higher in apartments than it is houses. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just more transient. And um, when you're pricing an apartment for perfection, you're going to be in trouble. I think there's people buying today that are going to be in trouble in three to four years. In, in my we opinion. See it. I'm glad you bring that up uh, in Austin. And we were looking at a 72 units and we studied it for three weeks and it was completely mismanaged owned from a group out of California. They were losing 130 grand, 30 grand. It was three different complexes. And we made an offer and they, they wanted double what we were offering which was 5.5 million. And that was literally the value. If you were running this thing as efficient as possible, I'm like, yeah, this, but somebody's probably going to pay it. And yeah. um, it's crazy. Yeah. So again, I've been through a real estate crash, right? And, and maybe you guys haven't yet. This is what happens right near the peak. People start pricing things for perfection. They feel like geniuses for about two years because every time you buy a big building like that, you know the first year is going to suck. So you kind of plan for that, right? You're going to raise rent. You're going to clean it up, blah, blah, blah. So you kind of budget a reserve for that. Yeah. But then you get into year two, year two and a half, and you're like, shoot, this isn't getting any better. We're still losing 100 grand a quarter or 100 grand a month. And pretty soon, man, ooh, uh, then, the, then the interest rate reset. We may be in a totally different environment. Rates go up and you're like, uncle. So one of the things that's not obvious is when the real estate crash happened, so think 10 to 12, Housing, everybody knows housing was for sale, right? Given away. What most people don't realize, and it's because I was in the market, apartments were the next thing to fall. So right when the hedge funds came in and changed the market overnight for single families, 
I again moved to apartments and I bought 60 units within a year period, nothing down directly from banks. All those stories. I bought an 18 unit building, nothing down. I bought a 10 unit building, nothing down. Because what happens is when people buy houses for perfection, apartments will happen. And eventually people cry uncle with apartments because eventually they go, oh my God, move any deadbeat you can in. I got a services debt, services debt. And then it just falls apart. And then they give it back. You can afford, apartments get lost all the time. Right. It's going to happen again. It's just probably in three to four years. So be Very smart. Good. Yeah. Well, so you're right. I, I've been in the real estate business for nine years, but I never worked through that downturn. Um, so I've tried to learn and study and, and feel like I have a really good understanding, but the, I don't know anything about a real estate crash. Um, and what you're saying about the 0% down, you know, I probably would have totally been taken advantage of that at the time. Yeah. And a lot of like what I've had to learn is because of those times that they made the lending extremely tough because they didn't want that to happen again. Yeah. They don't um, come back. Just watch the lending is already changing. I'm already seeing zero down loans again. I mean, it's, it's amazing. People seem to have 10 year memories, but real estate has like a 12 year cycle. Yeah. So people are just <laughs> forgetting the old pain, right? When it starts to come back, it's, it's hilarious. So uh, knowing that, and, and I a hundred percent agree with you, what are you doing to prepare for that? Um, oh. do you have some kind of game plan in place? Are you so, saving money right now? Like, how are you looking so, at it? So uh, a couple of things. First, I still believe you have to be in the market all the time, right? I'm still doing deals today. I look for something specific. So I think today, most things are overpriced. So what I'm spending my time on is locking up or look, seeking out owner finance deals. I just locked up a, a, a portfolio of, of 15 units, six different properties from an owner that I can basically get in. I ended up being 11% down. I got a five-year interest rate, uh, 20 years fully amortized. And the rents are like 70% of market. Right. So That's awesome. I'm going to go in. Yeah. So you just seek out you know, gaps in the market. Right. And why does that work for the owner? Well, because they don't want a big tax hit. They want to do an installment loan so they don't pay the IRS because he's owned them forever. They're depreciated to zero. So if I can go in and give him an installment loan for 20 years, he's a happy clam. He doesn't pay the IRS a big number and he gets to get rid of the landlord headaches and, you know, spend the last 20 years of his life partying, which, you know, good for him. Good for us. So did you um, say that he had a, it was a five year balloon? No, 20 oh, year okay. fully amortized, 5%, 5% interest. 5%. Okay. Um, yeah, so that makes sense to, to take advantage of the market right now while rates are low and you can get the owner financing at 5%. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I, I think there's always owner finance opportunities out there. Uh, and again, when you do them right, you can, um, you know, you can get creative. So um, just work, just be, be honest, be authentic. It doesn't always work out. But there are lots of owners that own their property free and clear that don't want to be landlords. Most of them think they have to die to pass them on to their heirs. They should turn them into owner finance notes mm -hmm. because they won't pay the IRS. They'll pay the IRS a little because they, they'll pay on their installment note, but it's going to be a lot less than a fully you know, depreciating that or paying the full price in taxes. Oh my God, I couldn't imagine. Right. Yeah. They're just paying the taxes on the interest that you pay, which is basically nothing at the beginning, right? Yeah, I mean, if you add it up over 12, 12 months, right, what's he going to collect, you know, 30 grand? In a, in a laddered income scale where we have the tax brackets, what is that, 12% or something? Right. Versus a, a $900,000 whack at, you know, 50%, that's, that'll really hurt. Right, right. So I'm uh, curious, so since you just uh, retired uh, about 
a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the what's the plan for you? Because like this was the goal, right? To um, retire uh, ASAP. Yeah. Um, and so now you have time. Uh, you know, what are you what are you doing? What are the next steps for you? Um, so I'm kind of a Type A person, and I quickly realized that I needed to do something to fill my day, or God forbid, I'd have to go back and get a job. Right? I'm yeah. not going to be the guy that sits on a beach or goes play golf. I have to do something. I have to feel like I'm contributing. So the first thing I did is I wrote a book called One Rental at a Time. You see that over my shoulder. Right. It documents our 15 year journey. It talks about the rise. It talks about the crash, how we survived. A lot of our story that you talked about just in more detail. And it kind of gives recommendations. And then that was only one thing. And then what I really spend most of my time on a couple hours a day is I create content for YouTube. Again, on a channel that's called One Rental at a Time. I just post to give back, right? To feel like I'm doing something. So, you know, that's enough for me. And then of course, you know, I, I work out, I go to lunch and dinner with the wife and, you know, lead a pretty, pretty chill existence. It's kind of fun. Well, it's funny because I've, I've basically been doing real estate since I was 18 before that I worked some jobs. But when I think about people in real estate that are passionate about it and investing and like it, to me, there is no retirement. Like you're always going to be looking at deals and you, you can be buying houses when you're 80 years old. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just a different type of work. Oh, yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's, yeah, I won't even call it work. It, it, calling it a game is disrespectful. I'm not sure what the median is. It's something. Yeah. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, there's no age limit, right? It's not like football or basketball or golf even. Yeah, there is no age limit. I, I'll be doing this hopefully forever. Right, right. I agree. That's how I look at it as well. That's awesome. Um, so um, the book, One Rental at a Time, um, available now. Yep. Available on Amazon, both in paperback. I think it's 15 bucks and uh, Kindle for 10 bucks. Very cool. Um, and is the, I know you said you're making some videos. Uh, you have a YouTube channel. Is it the same uh, name? Is it one rental at a time or is it? Yep. I am very consistent. One rental at a time. Nice. When's the next one coming out about the apartments? Uh, it's in that book. Oh, okay. Cool. All right. Cool. We'll definitely, uh, we'll have to get that one at our office. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, um, so I know you, you mentioned that the book's available on Amazon. Um, for our listeners, um, you know, how can they find out more about you um, and or you know, the book? Yeah, so again, the book has, it has my story. It really goes through a, the first 80 pages is the entire 15-year journey, what worked, what didn't work, what we had to learn, what we were mistaken. Then it gives kind of my core beliefs that I've learned, right? how to get started, how to be confident. What really, really what the book is about is two things, creating belief, and confidence um, because I don't think there's enough full-time employees who have crazy lives that believe they truly can do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I had a growing family. I, I was never, you know, I was never around. I traveled all the time. And if I can do it, you know, you can do it. And we didn't have a lot of money to begin with. So again, you can do it. Um, I think getting to learn about me, the best way is YouTube because I post every day. Okay. I don't have a job, so I got to do something. Uh, I post at least one video a day on one rental at a time. Uh, I think the very first video is financial independence is possible. I remember sitting on my couch to record that. I do something on that channel, which is kind of fun. I have something called subscriber questions. All you have to do is open up any video and go to the comments and write a question. Uh, and to date, I've answered every subscriber question within 48 hours. Awesome. You know, hopefully, hopefully someday, I get so many, I can't do it that fast, but I look forward to that day. I have, I think I just hit 1700 subscribers, so it's growing, but that's, it's a lot of fun. That's, I'm having a good time with that. So that's, awesome. that's, that's how to find out about me. What about, um, one more question for you. We're trying to start asking this. What is your biggest challenge or 
you know, yeah, biggest challenge that you've seen as an entrepreneur, real estate investor, is there any one particular thing um, that you just had a breakthrough that you were struggling with for a while, anything like that? Yeah. Uh, and I didn't get this until I attended a mastermind uh, after I left, uh, left the office. I never saw myself as an entrepreneur because remember how I grew up, right? I grew up in a family where money was a problem. All you had to do was get a job, right? You got a job to, to get money and money equated to happiness again. It was that simple. So I didn't know entrepreneurs. I didn't know anybody who had their own company. I didn't know, I didn't know any of that, right? And I didn't know any investors for that matter, right? Because nobody in my family had any money. So I had to understand that there are entrepreneurs out there and you could research them and ask questions. And, uh, and frankly, being an entrepreneur is not a dirty word, right? Um, so I had to get my, my mind wrapped around that. Right? I went to this mastermind group and I stood up there and basically told this story about how I invested on the side and I retired and, and all of that. And they kept saying, well, you're an entrepreneur. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, at best, I'm an investor. No, you idiot. You're not. You're an entrepreneur. You're doing this. You're doing that. What do you think an entrepreneur is? I'm like, I don't know, but I don't think it's that. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that was kind of a mental mind shift that I had to struggle through, and it's embarrassing. It, 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 I've just gotten there that I'm even comfortable thinking that I'm kind of an entrepreneur, right? I, and there's just someday I'll be there. I'm, I'm not quite there yet, I guess. You're definitely an entrepreneur. I mean, <laughs> you, know, you got the book, got the channel, you've done it, you've lived it. Uh, hopefully, I appreciate you know, that. <laughs> putting that in your head should give you some confidence, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I can uh, very much relate to you with, uh, you know, growing up, uh, you know, with the, kind of like a structured environment and not being able to see yourself as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I believe that like our internal you know, mental uh, yeah. struggle is the biggest struggle of all when it comes to, you know, being an entrepreneur or a business owner or a real estate investor yeah. um, and trying to navigate your career, right? Is um, getting over those mental humps that you have yourself that you create yourself. Yeah. Exactly. Um, which, you know, from an outsider's perspective, um, it's like, it seems ridiculous, but to us, it's like, you know, to each individual person, it's the biggest deal in the world. And, yeah. and just so you know, that's, for people listening to this, you know, my answer to that question is probably different than most, but realize what he just said, right? The mental mind shift for all of us in this business is real, right? When, the question I get from a lot of people trying to get from zero to one, it's all mental. It's all mental, mm -hmm. right? The video I did this morning, for example, was on fear, right? Fear is real until you acknowledge it and you move through it. And how do you do that? You do your homework, you get comfortable. You basically can answer the question of what a bad deal and a good deal is. Once you could do that, fear is gone. But it's all mental, man. It's amazing. I spent 10 years thinking the answer to real estate investing was a spreadsheet. I don't know about you. It's not a spreadsheet. <laughs> it's, it's building your network, getting to talk to more people. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's a people business and, and it's all mental. Um, yeah. It's kind of funny. 100% agree with you. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, Mike, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We really appreciate you. Um, and uh, we will include uh, all of your information. Uh, your YouTube uh, and your book in the show notes so uh, people can find out more about you. All right. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. Good luck. Thank Thanks you. for your time. It was if, great. If you're ever in Austin, feel free to uh, let oh, us know. Absolutely. I'll do that. Thanks, Go. guys. All right. Easy. We'll see you.